Thank you so much for that prayer this morning. John goes along so well with just the theme of the whole morning that we, uh, we have had. If you weren't with us during Sunday school, we had just an outstanding presentation about Bangla Ministries worldwide. We are considering them for possible financial support, and so that presentation during the Sunday school hour was live-streamed. You can watch it at any time. If you are a voting member of First Baptist Church, we strongly encourage you to watch it if you weren't here um, so that you can intelligently make that vote when that happens in the future. And we are so privileged this morning to have Dave and Nandy Cook with us. I'm going to have you two just stand right here. And uh, Dave is the executive director of Bangla Ministries Worldwide. They will be out in the foyer after this service, your opportunity to get to know them, to ask questions. They have a beautiful display table out there and encourage you to interact with them. Thank you so much for being here. Well, we are in the book of Habakkuk, and we are, I am sharing with you, as many of you know, six messages from the book of Habakkuk. This is message number five out of those six messages this morning. We are looking at Habakkuk chapter 3 and verses 1 through 15. And what I want to do as I've been doing the last few weeks is to jump right into the outline this morning. And our first point is Habakkuk's prayer. Habakkuk responds in great reverence to the prophetic announcements of the living God. Now, let me especially in a book like this, an Old Testament prophet, review very briefly for those of you who haven't been with us for all of these messages. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Habakkuk asks a question to God, and the whole book of Habakkuk is a question-answer format between Habakkuk and God. And in those first verses, Habakkuk asks why? Why is God allowing the southern kingdom of Judah to go on in sin and wickedness? How long? Why and how long before God disciplines his people? And we see in those first four verses that the law of the Lord was paralyzed. That's what it has in the English Standard Version The law of the Lord, the Torah, had been ignored among the people of the southern kingdom of Judah. Jehoiakim was their king. He was a wicked king, very unfortunate, following in the footsteps of his godly father, Josiah. But Habakkuk says, how? How can you keep letting my people go on in sin and wickedness like this? Well, in verses 5 through 11, God responds. And in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1, he says, Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, Habakkuk. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Yes, I am going to punish the southern kingdom of Judah with the Babylonians who had risen at this time. They are at the peak of their power to be the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. And 
in chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, Habakkuk becomes even more confused. Oh God, you're going to punish our wickedness with a nation that is even more wicked than we are. How can you do that, God? How can a just and righteous God punish our sin with a group of people, an empire that is, is even more sinful than we are? And so in chapter 2, it opens up with Habakkuk standing at his watchpost, waiting for God to answer him. Well, in chapter 2, God answers Habakkuk. And God tells Habakkuk that I will also punish the Babylonians, but I will do it in my time, and I will do it in my way. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3 says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. He says, Oh, Habakkuk, I will. I will punish the Babylonians. And if it seems slow to you, wait for it. It surely will come. It will not delay. And then in chapter 2, and we took two weeks to look at this, we have the five great woes of God against the Babylonian Empire. As God announces the sure and great destruction of the Babylonian Empire. And in the midst of that, in the midst of those five woes of God, there are these three amazing thoughts First, he says, Habakkuk, know this. The righteous will always live by faith. No matter how wicked the earth becomes, no matter how wicked it has been, no matter how wicked it will be, the righteous always live by faith. They live by faith in the living God and they live by faith in the word of God. They've always done that. Second, in verse 14 of chapter 2, if you remember just from last week, all of a sudden, God reveals to Habakkuk this far future, amazing prophecy. Right in the midst of saying he's going to destroy the Babylonians. In verse 14 of chapter 2, God says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. A verse that many of you know but maybe didn't even realize comes from the book of Habakkuk. And what he is saying is not only will I destroy the Babylonians, but I will destroy every man-made earthly empire until one day the true king comes. And when he comes, the earth, imagine this, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. O Habakkuk, wait for that day. And then as we come to the end of chapter 2, the very final verse, verse 20, is this majestic Amazing verse that leaves us in awe, and that's how we ended last week. Verse 20 says, this is God speaking. Verse 20 of chapter 2, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God is Habakkuk seated right now on the throne of his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. Be silent. For God 
is in control. And that brings us to chapter 3 this morning. And in response, Habakkuk cries out to the Lord. All of chapter 3 is a prayer of Habakkuk. It is a beautiful prayer, and I want you to mark that down in your minds. Mark it down in your Bibles. We think of the great prayers of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. I don't know about you, but I love to learn from the great prayers of the Bible. This is one of the great prayers of the Bible as Habakkuk prays. And in verse 1, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shaginoeth. And man, I had to practice that like, 20 times. Man, praise God for Google. You can look it up. and It's a shagoaneth. And what it means very simply is this. It is a wild, exuberant poem of praise. That's what it means. It's actually a fairly common word or a common term in Hebrew. And that's what it means. Wild, you could look it up. Wild, exuberant praise. And that's what this chapter is about. And so, this is a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk. And in verse 2, he starts out his prayer with actually what is interesting here the only petition in the prayer, the rest is just standing in awe of the greatness of God. But in verse 2, he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He says, O Lord, I've heard about you. You have now revealed yourself to me in an even greater way. And I stand in awe. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, some translations actually have, in our day and time, in our day and time, in the midst of the years, revive your great works. In the midst of the years, make those works known again. But, and again, a well-known term in Scripture, not everybody knows where it comes from. In wrath, remember mercy. O God, I know, I know you have to judge my people. I know they will be taken captive by the Babylonians and thoroughly disciplined by you. I know you're going to destroy the Babylonians. I know that. I know it. But Lord, please don't forget your mercy. Please be merciful to us. As I see the violence within my own people, as I see the violence without, please don't ever forget your mercy because that's all we have. Well, and then verses 3 through 15, we'll look at the last part next week as we serve communion together. We're going to look at verses 3 through 15. And it is a great poem. It is a poem that is intended to be set to music, okay? It is a poem, a great piece of literature intended to be set to music. In fact, I'm not going to read all of them, 
you will see the little word Selah. And the word Selah, and some of you may know this, simply means to pause. And so it is a recitation of the greatness of God. Pause. Reflect. Meditate. It is a recitation of the great works of God. Pause. Reflect. Meditate. And so we have this great inspired prayer of Habakkuk. Now, as we go through these verses, they are all connected to past events in the history of Israel. But I'm not going to take the time to try to connect every single verse to its past event. It would, we'd be here for a long time. Plus, over the course of history, beautiful Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. But there has been debate over specifically which historical events each of the verses is connected to. Here's the big picture, okay? Here's the big picture. He is looking back from the exodus through the wilderness wanderings to the crossing of the Jordan into the promised land. All of the events that he recites are connected to those events in one way or another. They're not necessarily in chronological order, but they have connections, again, to the exodus, to the wilderness wanderings of Israel, and to the crossing of the Jordan into the promised land. And so I'm just going to read them one by one for you. And this is what I want this morning, so important. I just want you to soak in the glory of God. I want you to sit in awe of who God is and what God has done. And then I'll try to wrap it up at the end. So first we're going to look at 3 through 7. Through the prophetic revelation of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, Habakkuk, sees the greatness of God. Verse 3. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Verse 4. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand And there he veiled his power. Verse 5. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. Verse 6. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Verse 7, I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. I want you to think again just of verse 6. This is God. This is your God, the living God. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low. His were 
the everlasting ways. Well, our second point this morning is the majestic power of God. After proclaiming his vision of God's greatness, Habakkuk declares God's mighty actions. So verses 3 through 7 are a vision of the greatness of God. Verses 8 through 15 are a reciting of his great and mighty works. Verse 8. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against... Excuse me. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? Habakkuk is asking in his prayer, or God is revealing to him, Lord, were you angry with your creation? No. No, he was not angry with creation. Creation was being used of God for his own glory for the display of his great might and greatness. Verse 9, you strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. Verse 10, the mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on, the deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. Verse 11, the sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. Verse 12, you, O God, you march through the earth in fury. You thresh the nations in anger. Verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. It's interesting. Alistair Begg, in his sermon series on the book of Habakkuk, said he believes that verse 13, verse 13, is the key verse in this entire prayer. It is the central verse in this prayer. Because God goes out for the salvation of his people, for the salvation of his anointed. God, throughout history, has always been about redeeming a people for himself. God, as we know, has always been on the move. He is on the move right now, even as we learned this morning among the Bengali people of Bangladesh. He is on the move all around the world bringing together a redeemed people for himself who will know Jesus Christ as Savior. And folks, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Verse 13 finds its ultimate fulfillment in the death and resurrection of Christ. Verse 13 finds its ultimate fulfillment at the cross. Many see in verse 13 a fulfillment of Psalm 2 and Daniel chapter 9. Your, you went out, O Lord, as a mighty warrior for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Verse 14. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing 
as if to devour the poor in secret. Verse 15, you trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters, which almost assuredly points to the crossing of the Red Sea, where the horses and chariots of Pharaoh were overwhelmed by the water, were drowned by the water, but it was the horses of the Lord that parted the sea and then brought the sea back. And so God inspires Habakkuk in this great prayer. Now let me try to bring this all together this morning. Many Bible teachers have pointed out the remarkable similarities between the book of Habakkuk and the book of Job. As you may know, in the book of Job, excuse me, Job loses everything. His children, his possessions, they're all taken away from him. His three friends come to try and comfort him. And the book of Job is filled with all of these deep human questions. And Job is wrestling with God. How can it be? How can you let a righteous man like me go through what I'm going through? And what's remarkable about the book of Job is God never answers his questions. He simply comes to Job and reveals himself in his glory and greatness. And we come to that key section in Job 42, verses 5 and 6. And Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Oh, Lord, I am overwhelmed by who you are, and I bow before you, and I know that all you do is good and right and just. Think through with me the book of Habakkuk. God has promised Habakkuk he will deal with the sins of Judah. He will. It's promised. God will deal thoroughly with the Babylonians. He will punish them, as I've shared with you. In 539 B.C., the Babylonians were overtaken in one night by the Medes and the Persians completely destroyed. But I want you to think of this. Habakkuk was told, promised, these things will happen. But Habakkuk would die before any of it took place. The Israelites would return from Babylonian captivity. They would return to the promised land. As I mentioned, the Medes and Persians would destroy the Babylonians, but Habakkuk would see none of it. None of it. In the meantime, Habakkuk would wait patiently and pray fervently. Isn't that a big part of the Christian life? Wait patiently. Pray fervently. I loved what one writer said. He said, nothing has changed on the outside for Habakkuk. Everything's the same. But 
Habakkuk has changed on the inside. His circumstances didn't change. But he changed. It's a powerful lesson. He knew his trust must be in God and in him alone. That's what Habakkuk is learning. We have looked over the past few weeks at how relevant the book of Habakkuk is to our to events in our own world right now. But this morning, I want to look not just at events in our own world, but at the normal Christian life and how relevant, <clears throat> excuse me, this book is for all of us every day. Back in 2011, there was a contemporary Christian song that came out that has been one of my favorites ever since then. It is a great theological song. It is a song, Blessings, by singer-songwriter Laura Story. Some of you may be very familiar with it. If you don't know the events of her life, Laura Story and her husband, Martin, Martin Elvington. Elvington is her married name. They were this good-looking young couple, got married, <clears throat> excuse me. And shortly after their marriage, he was diagnosed with a severe brain tumor. They had all these plans of a young married couple, of what life was going to look at like. And God shattered all of it. And they prayed that Martin would be healed from his brain tumor. They believed that God could heal him. Well, he ended up going through some major brain surgeries. And he has never been restored to full capacity. Over a decade later, he still has a severe learning disability. And she wrote this song, and the chorus, if you're not familiar with it, goes like this. She says, what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healings come through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? What if the hardest things you go through in your life are actually God's mercies in disguise? At the end of the song, she says, What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world cannot satisfy. What if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are actually your mercies in disguise? What if? What if the achings in your heart 
are actually a thirst for something that there is nothing in this world that can satisfy except God himself. She ended up, and I want to mention this too, if you're not familiar with their story, about two years ago, Focus on the Family did a wonderful interview with the two of them. Two-part interview, you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, it really is an amazing story. But she ended up writing a book called When God Doesn't Fix It. I love the title, When God Doesn't Fix It. She said, in the most difficult trials of your life, you truly learn to find your hope in the person of Jesus. She said, we have to be careful. Sometimes we come to Jesus only because we think he can fix it. But what if he doesn't fix it? Will you find your joy and pleasure and trust in him and him alone? They said through their trials, they had a whole new outlook on Romans 8.28. They said they had well-meaning friends who would say, oh, don't worry, all things work together for God's good, for your good. All things work together for good to those who know God, who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Don't worry. All things work together for good. And they said they do. But they said, be careful how you define the word good. Good doesn't mean that God's going to fix all of your circumstances. It, the good may mean that you come to a deeper, richer, fuller knowledge of God and the sweetness of walking with him. As we come toward the end of the book of Habakkuk, God didn't fix it for him there was still sin in the land and the Babylonians were still trampling over nations and going about their evil but Habakkuk knew God in a greater fuller richer and deeper way and he stands in awe of his God Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the majestic revelation of yourself that you gave to the prophet Habakkuk. We pray with him this morning, Lord. We pray with him, O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O oh Lord. In wrath, remember mercy. Remember your mercy, O Lord. Through the pages of your holy word, cause us to see the power and glory of your greatness and help us to find our soul's greatest satisfaction in you and you alone. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.